This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 113 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, the horses of reenactment. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our title sponsor is Omega Alpha. You can find them at omegaalpha.ca. This episode is also sponsored by Equestrian Collections at equestriancollections.com. Plus, Uncle Jimmy's, and you can find them at uncle-jimmy's.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or hot water, while using their tails as their own flight swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And I'm Kat Pertusi And this is a Stable Scoop radio show Well howdy Kat How you doing Glenn? Good, I appreciate you uh, filling in for Helena this week No problem it's been a, uh, a, a run here without Helena. We've had, uh, I think, four shows now without her because we are in the midst of the World Equestrian Games. They should be just ending right about now. And mm-hmm. we had to pre-record these episodes and get them in the can because uh, we were all busy with co- the coverage of the World Equestrian Games. So we appreciate you sitting in today. No problem. But I want to assure everybody that Helena will be back next week. And uh, so, so, so you don't have to email me and say, "Where's Helena?" <laughs> she does you have her hide fan- her. I know she does have her fan base out there. Well, yeah. Kat actually is one of the editors for the show. She actually has to go in every week and uh, make me sound good, which is quite difficult. It's a chore. Yeah. It's a chore. <laughs> so, so now tell me a little bit. You also were involved with horses a bit. Yes. Uh, as I was growing up, I did a lot of horse work. I was in 4-H. Uh, I was in the Space Coast Arabian Horse Club and uh, showed in the Arabian Horse Show circuit a little, uh, showed in 4-H circuit a little. Um, I was on the 4-H judging team. Went through a lot of horses, actually. <laughs> um, and then I graduated, didn't know what to do with myself. So obviously I got an English degree because that's what you do with your life um, when you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, that's helped a lot, huh? That, that helped so much. I don't know how I would have gotten here without that English degree. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I miss the horses, though. And eventually I'll get back into them as soon as we, we get a chance. I'm going to get horses again. We'll see. Well, it must be killing you have to listen and edit these shows every week. Oh, it's horrible. It's really <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I'll hear a name. Um, like I was at uh, the Western radio show. They were dropping names for some of the quarter horses. And I'm like, oh, I know a horse by that sire. And it was, yeah, it, it kills me. <laughs> and we uh you said space coast so you were in florida yes we were in florida for a while uh we decided to uh sell our house and drive around until we found a place we liked and then stop and we ended up in kentucky really is that what you did <laughs> that's what we did <laughs> i don't recommend it but that's what we did <laughs> so you ended up in lexington was there another alternative or or did you well, have a list of criteria you were looking for we did have a list of criteria. We started off actually in Berea, um, small town. You can get 
more for your money there, uh, but there's no jobs. So we went from Berea to Richmond and then finally ended up in Lexington. Oh, okay. Well, that's an unusual way to get to Lexington. Most people come here for the horses. You just happen to be driving through and say, oh, okay, we'll stay here. Yeah, well, horses were a big draw. <laughs> um, I might have had some kind of influence in that decision. I can't be certain about that. I can't imagine. Uh, nah. No. Horse husbands okay. usually don't have any influence in those decisions, so <laughs> we, we usually don't have anything to say about it. Nothing. Sorry. Sorry. So you've done a little bit of English and Western then? Yes, I have. Um, what mostly happened was uh, if they had a horse that needed more points, they'd say, oh, yeah, stick cat on it. It'll be great. And I'd get stuck on the horse and ride around doing whatever I was supposed to be doing, hopefully correctly, um, for whoever happened to need the points, so... It was an interesting childhood. And I assume Cat's a nickname. Yes. Um, actually, it is. And it actually has nothing to do with my, my actual name, which is Carla. Um, but it has to do with some, some things I will not speak about that I used to do <laughs> as a child um, that I'll embarrass myself with at a later date. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and thank you very much also for putting the show together today. I really appreciate all of your help. And I appreciate all the help of the past uh uh, co-host guests over the last several weeks. Uh, uh, so what What did you put together? You, uh, you know, you hit my heart today. You know that, don't you? <laughs> and you knew, because you know me well enough to know that this was going to be something that was going to be all over. Yeah, I, I figured you'd like this one. So tell, um, so tell everybody what you have planned. We, we've never done this before. Uh, what we have planned today is we will be speaking to Jude Kensington about the equestrian activities in the Society of Creative Anachronisms. And then we'll be talking to uh, Captain Emmett Taylor, uh, who runs a cavalry regiment in Missouri. So it's all about reenactment today. We, we, we go all, back to, all the way back to medieval times with the Society for Creati Creative Anachronism, which is SCA for short because nobody can say the darn name. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then we, we go to Civil War times, right, with the, with, the, with the captain? That is correct. It's historical horses today. He's in a uh, reenactment troop, uh, Company C of the 5th Regiment of the Missouri Volunteer Cavalry. Uh, so we're, we're, this is going to be so much fun. And the reason it's, you know, anybody that's been a fan of the shows for some time knows I owned an acting company for about 10 years. And we did Medieval Feasts. So we, we did our own version of reenactment. It was the comedy version sort of a Benny Hill version of a medieval feast. And, uh, and we, I actually met my wife at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, and we actually had a Renaissance wedding. So, uh, so this is uh, very uh, dear to my heart, and I'm, I'm looking so forward to chatting with these people. It's going to be so much fun. It'll be exciting. And we'll do that, right? Let's get to it, because I want to. Um, <laughs> but, but first, we have, to, we have to chat about our other friends at Omega Alpha. We'll be right back with our first guest. Omega Alpha Pharmaceuticals creates only natural health products. Their scientists, guided by Dr. Gordon Chang, formulate a wide variety of mainly herbal health products to address many equine health problems. And I have on the line here Kyle Carter, who is an international eventer and well-known throughout the eventing world, who uses Omega Alpha products. Kyle, I understand that you started using uh, Omega Alpha about a year ago. Yeah, I've, I've been using it for about a year and have noticed a remarkable difference in the horses that have been on it. And then um, if, they've, if they've come off of it, the horse's health always has been better on it. Um, it's one of the few supplement companies that I wholeheartedly believe in. 
Well, thank you, Kyle. You know, Omega Alpha brings consumers the perfect marriage of nature and science. Look for all of their products at retailers nationwide or visit their website at omegaalpha.ca. That's omegaalpha.ca. And we're back, and we'd like to thank thank Omega Alpha for their wonderful contributions to our show. And next, we'd like to introduce Captain Emmett Taylor, commander of Company C, 5th Regiment, Missouri Volunteer Cavalry. Well, thank you for joining us, Captain Emmett Taylor. And how are you today? Well, I'm doing just fine, thank you. Glad Excellent. to be with you. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we had a few questions about your mounted cavalry. The first thing I'd like to ask you to do is, could you give us a very quick synopsis about what cavalry reenactment is? Yes, okay. We get out there with our horses and uh, and really acquaint the general public, and we're particularly concerned about young people, um, about giving them a good... Uh, view of what the cavalry, what the Mounted Cavalry was all about, particularly during the time of the Civil War, that's what we portrayed, and um, we um, we spend a lot of time with the public uh, when we're not out riding, doing the demonstration, doing the reenactment, we spend a lot of time around camp just uh, talking to folks and um, you know, letting them get up close to the horses and uh, and just, again, learn more about what the role of the horse was in the cavalry. Oh, excellent. Now, what types of, of riding is actually done then? Do you actually do maneuvers? We do, um, we do maneuvers. We do drill. We do, um, you know, mounted drill. Um, on a typical reenactment weekend, we spend a lot of time in the morning drilling the horses. And um, the type of drill that we use... Um, you know, comes from a uh, a cavalry manual, Cook's cavalry manual, which was um, one of a couple um, um, manuals that was uh, used during that time period to train horses, for the cavalry to train their horses. So anyway, that's the manual that we use. And so mm-hmm. everything that we do is authentic to the history. Yeah. Is that a, a big part of uh, the reenactment then is to get it as accurate as possible? I'm sorry, what was that again? Is it a big part of the reenactment then to get it as accurate as possible? Um, yes, and uh, during the, um, you know, we train, we work, uh, part of the drill or the purpose of the drill is really so that the horse and the rider will be trained to maneuver properly during times of battle. Now, that's, of course, why, they, why the cavalry, the original, you know, mounted cavalry drilled so often mm-hmm. with their horses in order to be able to... Uh, so that the horse and the rider would respond properly when commands were given so that they would be able to position themselves for battle and engage in battle. Now, Captain, what kind of horses do you use? What works best? Now, obviously, these horses are around gunfire, cannon fire, loud noises, screaming crowds. You pretty much have it all, and I'm assuming you do parades probably, too. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, and um, as far as uh, the the noise, the gunfire and all... um, we we train our horses. Well, some horses, as, as you probably know, are very um, uh, calm, and they will uh, they will uh, you know respond. Uh, I mean, you don't have any problems with real calm horses a lot of times. Some right. that are a little more high strung, um, you know, take a little more time to train to to gunfire. We use a, a method similar to what was used 
for the original cavalry. During the original days of cavalry, they would separate the horse and the rider. One person would be holding the horse about the distance of a football field. And, uh, and so the uh, person on the end of the horse, who was actually going to be the rider of the horse, had a pistol, and he would have it up in the air, and he would be firing the pistol, getting closer and closer to the horse. It might take a number of uh, sessions before the... Uh, Force was really calm to, to upset the rider, but when the uh, when the rider could get all the way up to the horse, kind of stand next to his horse and lean over him and fire around, just kind of leaning over him, uh, then that horse was broke for gunfire. Yeah, I would think so. Wow. So that's so, kind of we use a, we use a similar system to that. And is there was there a breed of horse that they used back then? I mean, what what breeds were was it the? I, the well, the. Uh, the horses that were uh, primarily used during the Civil War, the horse, probably the most uh, um, popular breed or most used breed, at least particularly in the federal cavalry, was the um, what we refer to as the old line Morgans. Now, yeah, okay. So, so they were the um, they were horses that could be trained to pull a cannon, or could uh, you know be used for mounted cavalry. They could pull wagons. They could do. Anything that the uh, that the army needed at that time, and they weren't huge. They weren't really tall like a lot of the draft breeds that were around back then as well. Uh huh. But uh, yeah. there were there were other horses used as well. Uh, but um, today we use uh, we have some Morgans out there. Um, we use um, you know gated horses, uh, uh, trotters, and uh, and um, walkers and. Uh, I, I personally ride a Tennessee Walker, um, and we have some that are, uh, you know, using quarter horses and, and other breeds, uh, which makes it a little bit of a challenge sometimes when you're doing drill. But we work it out, and uh, we, um, we do a pretty good job. Okay, say uh, say someone wanted to join the cavalry, how would they go about doing that? How how do people go about joining the cavalry? Yeah. Well. Um, most cavalry units, I think, probably most people get involved with uh, with cavalry um, when they come out to an event. They have the opportunity to come out and see an event. They um, um, they're thinking, you know, as they're watching it, they're thinking, "Boy, I have a horse at home, and uh, he's just out there in the pasture. I do a little trail riding, or I do this or that, and, uh, and boy, I think I'd like to do this. You know, it looks interesting." <laughs> so anyway, that's. That's how a lot of the people end up, and they'll come up and, and talk to us and, uh, and you know, explain that they have a horse and that they, you know, would like to come try this. So that's, you know, that's, that's how we get most of the people, I would say. Now, now Captain, and, do you, uh, do most, are most of the people into horses before they join, or do you ha- actually have some join that, that have never sat on a horse before? Well, um, there are some people who want to get involved with the cavalry, who uh, who are not uh, experienced horsemen? Now we do find that, uh, and uh, we do find that people will come to us and say, "Oh yeah, I'm experienced horseman, you know." Yeah. Uh, I don't have a horse now, but I'm experienced horseman. Well, um, you know, okay, we take that. Uh, we take that. Um, Here, put the bridle on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, a lot of times we find that um, maybe they rode it, you know, did a little trail riding when they were kids. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, a little anyway, different than sitting on the horse during cannon fire. Yeah, you think? <laughs> oh. well, Do, doing a charge across a field. <laughs> well, anyway, um, 
you know, it, we've trained uh, we've trained a lot of people. And to be very honest with you, I was probably one of those people back 15 years ago. I was probably one of those people who had, you know, ridden from time to time. Back when I was a kid, we had a couple horses, and I, you know, did some riding. But it had been many years since I've done, done any riding. And um, I thought I'd like to be in the cavalry and, and uh, got a horse. And, uh, boy, the first time we went out there... Uh, uh, we were on the line, ready to. We were lined up near the cannons. The cavalry was, and first shots went off. Uh, <clears throat> my horse reared up, spun, and <laughs> oh, <laughs> took no. off. Uh, took off to the picket line. We went oh, uh, no. about a hundred yards at a full gallop, and uh, that was the first know, casualty of the battle. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it, um, you know, as time went on, he got real used to it, and. Uh, you know, we uh, we just trained, kept kept him in there, and uh, the other the other thing that uh, the horses do that they need to be trained in is when we do our uh, our saber battles. Oh yeah, that's uh, true. During uh, during a battle during the Civil War, there really weren't too many actual saber battles. The saber um, was they trained with the sabers, and they had to be used had to use it, had to learn how to use it. So uh, they did did train and. There were a few occasions during the Civil War where they actually used the uh, the sabers. The uh, but the, when during a reenactment, uh, we only have so many blank rounds in our pistols out there. And uh, after we've uh, after we've uh, fired all the, the 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 rounds that we have, and you've got still cavalry on the other side, um, we're a federal cavalry unit, a Union cavalry, and then we have we're opposing a Confederate cavalry unit. And uh, finally, you'll, uh, on either one side or the other, we'll give the command to draw sabers. And then uh, once we know that, once we see that, then we, uh, the other side will draw sabers and we, uh, we advance, uh, depending on how much ground is between us, either at a, at a fast walk or a, or a trot or maybe a faster gait. But, um, and then we, we pull up and, uh, and um, you know, the uh, two people will engage each other, and the way that's done is basically um, maneuvering your horse to the right. It's almost like a dance. The two riders are are close, and uh, they're um, they're moving to the right, and they're the two riders are exchanging saber blows while the horses are maneuvering to the right. So you do have an un, uh, you do have some unwritten rules about how to safely saber battle for reenactments. Pardon me. We, uh, so you have you you do have some unwritten rules about how to safely saber battle for reenactments. Then oh, we do. There are there are many rules that are uh, that are written for um, for reenactment battles, which include the uh, the proper use of a pistol and the use of a saber. Um, also. Um, well, to talk about briefly those two things, the pistols, always the muzzle has to be up. Uh, we never, you know, point the pistol directly at someone. So the pistol, the muzzle has to be elevated. And then the sabers, um, the, um, you never approach somebody with the tip of a saber, you know, down. It's the saber tips are always up. And when you... Uh, when you engage in saber battle, the uh, the sharp edge of the blade is never uh, towards the opposing 
person. It's always the flat part of the blade. With, uh, gotcha. With cords up. Okay. So it's, um, cool. it's, it's, um, I've never seen anybody really get, excuse me, <clears throat> I've never seen anybody really get uh, injured with a saber battle. I, I do know that um, when you're on a horse and there's um, there's a battle going on and there's uh, uh, a lot of activity on the field, when you fire a pistol, we use, um, in, in our case, we uh, load the pistols with black powder, the cylinders, and then we pack them down with... Uh, cornmeal or cream of wheat and um, tamp that down real good to, to hold the powder in it. And of course the, the pistols are capped with a with a, uh, with a firing cap. But um, I, I, I will tell you that I've been sprayed by, by cream of wheat uh, a time or two. <laughs> so, um, but that, that happens and uh, we uh, I'll tell you the gentlemen that are the people that are out there, and we do have, by the way, we do have ladies that portray uh, that dress up as men and portray men on the, you know, in the cavalry. Mm-hmm. That's not so unusual. And um, um, I'll tell you what, some of those ladies do an excellent job of uh, of uh, disguising their femininity. Oh. <laughs> so. Uh, all right, Captain. Well, we appreciate you being on with us today. Thank yeah. you, thank you so much. And it was a—it's very—it's so much fun. There's so many parts of the horse world, and we get to explore all of them. And and this is certainly a part that not a lot of people think about, unless they're near a place where there is a reenactment. And you know, thank goodness for there are people like you out there to do this. So thank you very much, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay. Well, people can come. Uh look at us we're see us uh, we're, we're around and uh they can visit us at www.thecavalry.org well that was a lot of fun i want to go do it i want to wear a uniform and shoot things and and do stuff off of my horse i know that sounds so fun it <laughs> is neat i love it that's one thing i never did in the shows is i never had the opportunity to go horse oh wait a minute there was one show where it required me to come riding in, and we brought my Percheron down, the 18-and-a-half-hander, one-ton one there, uh, big black Percheron. And so as the king, I came riding into it was on the grounds of the Stokesay Castle in Reading. So I came riding around the corner and up to up to the event on my horse. They actually paid extra so that they could have that happen. So that was fun. So there was one time I actually did it. One time. But I never got to do the jousting at the Renaissance Fair, and that's what we're going to be talking about next. And we're going to be doing that right after this word from Uncle Jimmy's. Regular listeners to the Stable Scoop show know that Helena and I just love Uncle Jimmy's and his fantastic line of products. His products have the highest quality ingredients, and that is why they have taken off like they have. Of course, it all started with Uncle Jimmy's hanging balls for use in the stalls, and then came squeezy buns. We know you need to reward your horse outside of the stall as well. That is why Uncle Jimmy developed Uncle Jimmy's squeezy buns. Squeezy buns are all natural and loaded with nutritional ingredients for your horse. Unlike similar products on the market, they are individually wrapped to preserve freshness and eliminate mess. With competitive pricing and Uncle Jimmy's quality guarantee, the Squeezy Buns promise to be a hit among horses and horse lovers alike. Learn more about all of Uncle Jimmy's products or to find a dealer, visit uncle-jimmys.com. That's uncle-jimmys.com.
And we're back again. And thank you, Uncle Jimmy, for all of your contributions. And next, we're going to be talking to Jude Kensington about equestrian activities in the SCA. Well, welcome to Jude Kensington from the SCA. How are you? I'm great today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, uh, by the uh, in the SCA, you go by a second name, and yes, that in is. The SCA, mm-hmm. I'm known as Mistress Isolde of Hawksholm. Ah, okay. Okay, well then I couldn't even say your name. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, do you just go by Mistress? Can we just go with that? Because uh, uh, you can actually just go by Isolde. Isolde. Now, where'd yes. that name come from? Uh, the names that we choose to use in the SCA are are based on historical names. Uh, you can't actually choose a name of someone who existed, but you have to be able to choose a name of uh, a name that could have existed in the SCA period. And what is that? What what period are we talking about? Uh, we t- we tend to uh, reenact medieval Europe. Um, it usually goes from about oh. 900 to around 1500. Okay. Well, that's in the same time, actually, that we did uh, with the acting company I had. We, we did the year 1270, which was King Henry III of England at that time. Um, and the reason we picked that, it's interesting, the reason we picked that is because nobody knew anything about King Henry III. So <laughs> we could do whatever we wanted with it. <laughs> It'd make it up as we go. That's right. Okay, so now give us a quick Reader's Digest version of what the SCA is? The SCA is a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated to studying the Middle Ages. Uh, it was uh, first founded in 1966 at Berkeley, California, and uh, it has spread now to where there are 19 kingdoms across pretty much the entire world. Oh, wow. We have kingdoms in Europe. We have kingdoms in uh, Hawaii, Australia, um, there's a it's, a, it's a fairly large organization now. Now, what, what types of writing is done in the SCA? There are a lot of different types of writing. Um, some places, they just do processionals uh, where they, you know, process into uh, a kingdom event and the, the crowns, the kings and the queens ride in on the horses. Uh, we do a lot of practice for what knights and squires would have trained for in the period mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that encompasses all sorts of different different activities there are places where people just get together and do trail rides uh, they do quests they do uh, camping events you know it, it pretty much they do even uh, different kinds of uh, shows that they put on for the populace so that everybody can see, look, you know, this is what the horses are capable of doing kind of thing. Ah, yeah. See, now I want to go on a quest. Um, <laughs> now, what, fun. Is there a specific type or breed of horse that uh, is used mostly in the SCA or? Absolutely not. Uh, okay. Any, any type, any breed, uh, any horse that, that someone wants to bring to the SCA is welcome. Now, isn't it true, though? We have people who bring ponies. We have people who bring mules. Now, isn't it true back in the day, okay, the the day we're we're actually uh, reenacting back uh, in time, they did have more drafty breeds? Were they using more drafty breeds at that time? It kind of depends on where you were at, and it kind of depends on the time period. Uh, It also depends on who you were. 
uh, war horses were tended to be a little larger, uh, not quite the drafts that we we see today. Yeah, they, were, they weren't eighteen they weren't hands. <laughs> no, they the average the average size was around fifteen hands. And we have to uh, remember that was, too that the knights weren't as big as we are no. today in many Absolutely. cases. Yeah. Actually, shocking. It's to funny. See yeah. armor. It's right, Cat. When you go to a suit of armor or go to an <laughs> armory and look at the suits of armor, you go, "Oh my God, they were like children." They're short. <laughs> they were very small compared to what we are. If you were just riding your horse around, you tended to ride what was called a palfrey, and those horses were around fourteen hands. Um, they were just, you know, your average riding horse from here to there. Now, the, like I said, the war horses were a little bit bigger, and they were very. Uh, very specialized, and not every they were very expensive, and not everyone could afford to have one. Wow. Okay. So commodity. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what? How do you go about training a horse? Because I mean, there's there's usually fabric fluttering around, and sometimes trumpets, and people walking around in fluttery costumes. How do you go about training a horse to accept all this? You start at home. You know, it it, it definitely is not something you want to bring a horse to that has never been exposed to any of this. Uh, you start at home by, you know, bomb-proofing your horse, getting him used to things flopping around on him, uh, getting him used to the sounds of, of uh, things being hit and thrown around. Uh, you tend to, uh, most of our equipment we make at home. It's not, the equipment is not something that you can just, you know, go to Walmart and buy. It's all very specialized. So you mean most they're, people... they're not selling uh, lances and shields at Walmart anymore? I know, and isn't that wrong? (laughs) What were they thinking? You can't get chain mail at Walmart? I know. Our lives would be so much easier if we could do that. You know what, though? Your lives are a lot easier. Back in the day, when when I first started into this 20-some years ago now, you couldn't find anything. But now with the advent of so many Renaissance fairs and stuff, costume makers have come out of the woodwork. And even in, in the battle side of things, the armors have come out of the woodwork. It's so much easier today, though. You have to admit that. Oh, it is, it is a lot easier today. I could go online right now and buy a full set of armor for my horse if I wanted to spend quite that much money. But, uh, yeah, the, the stuff is out there. A lot of people are out there making it now. Yeah, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it was just like, if you didn't make it yourself, you weren't going to have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. A lot of us, though, a lot of us do still prefer to make it ourselves. Uh, for one thing, it's a lot easier. You've got it right here at your place, and, and uh, you know that it fits your horse. So it's it's a lot easier for most of us to go ahead and make it ourselves. What kind of saddles are you using? We use any kind of saddles. A, a lot of us have made... Uh, Reproductions of medieval saddles. Which which were but, like what? What were they like? You know, it depends. If you if you are portraying a Roman, uh, the Romans had a. It's a, a very odd saddle. It's a four horn saddle that basically looks like a footstool sitting on top of your horse with four horns on each side of it. Uh, All right. A lot of them are very uh, high backed, and they're very high in the front, uh, with not a whole lot to them other than you know stirrups. But any kind of saddle that you, you want to use, people show up with Western saddles, English saddles, dressage saddles, Australian saddles. Um, it really, really doesn't make any difference. You have, to, you have to realize that we can't use necessarily the equipment that was used in period on our horses today. For instance, the bits, um, 
the shank on a medieval bit might be a foot long. Oh. Uh, they were incredibly severe because one of the, one of the myths is that war horses were incredibly well trained. Uh, war mm. horses were more or less just wild. Uh, they were they were hard to control. The the purpose of a medieval war horse was to run in a straight line through the the lines of your enemy. Uh, there wasn't you know it wasn't a whole lot of uh, let's spin around and and do dressage movements. It was let's just bust through this line. And uh, they, once and they, you had your horse running that hard, you needed they needed a pretty severe bit to stop them on the other side. And they were they were definitely a weapon. They were used as a weapon back then. That's where that's where most of the dressage movements of today came from. Was the yes. war horses of the past? Uh, it is it is where they came from. But it was a little later in period before they started realizing. You know, we could do more with these horses than just mow people down. Right. Yeah. It was interesting too. You talked about the saddle, the Roman cavalry saddle, and it really did it. It was it, it, imagine a Western saddle with one horn in the middle and the front. This one actually had horns on all four corners. And the reason they did that is many of the Romans never didn't use stirrups at all. So what right. they would they could turn in the saddle, hook their their knees and their legs over these horns every which way, which gave them a lot of flexibility to use their shields and their swords. Uh, in any direction, and that's the reason that they had that particular saddle at the time. Hmm. Absolutely. It sounds like it looks yeah. more like a pack saddle even than a, a, a riding saddle. It does, actually. It, it very much resembles more of a pack saddle. Interesting. Wow. Okay, so how would I uh, go about joining the SCA if I wanted uh, there's, to? Yeah, there's a website. It is sca.org. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of good resources. It will tell you uh, what kingdom you live in, and it will give you uh, information about what the SCA is about, what it does, and it also will give you links to the local groups where you can just call them up and say, hey, I want to I wanna join you guys. I want to come and see what you're about. Um, now, are, newcomers are always welcome. Excellent. Do you have uh, events then that are open to the public? Uh, events are not actually open to the public, uh, not like you would think the Renaissance Fair was, where people mm -hmm. paid to come to see it. Uh, all you really need to attend an event is an attempt at some sort of uh, medieval garb. Uh, basically, you know, what we wear is called a tunic, and mm -hmm. it's just a very simple, long T-shirt, basically. Uh, and really all you need is, is some sort of attempts, and you'll be more than welcome at any event. Uh, there is a, a fee to come to the events. We all pay them when we go, and it helps support the sites and the local groups. Uh, like I said, it's a nonprofit organization, so all of that, any money that that's collected goes back into the group in order to have future events. Now, do they still do the Pensick War? They do indeed do the Pensic Wars. As a matter of fact, Pensic is going on right now. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. We should, you should tell everybody what the Pensic War is. Uh, the Pensic War is the largest gathering of SCA people, uh, basically in any kingdom. Uh, it takes place every August in Pennsylvania, and there are up around 10,000 to 12,000 people that every year and participate. Now, are the horses there, too? They do not have horses at Pimpic. Okay. Pimpic I was going to say that. Wars where they don't do it. I was going to say that would be, require a whole new set of logistics, especially when you have 10,000, 12,000 people that you have to put up to begin with. Yeah, it really does. Uh, 
the, the horses in the SCA are, we've been around since 1967, uh, the first event that had horses was in 67, but it's still a fairly small group. There's probably about a thousand riders in the SCA. Uh, so a lot of the, the people in the SCA don't actually do horses. They're not real familiar with the horses. Uh, so an event like Penzik, if we had horses there, honestly, is, it would be a bit of a logistical nightmare for the equestrians. Yeah, and, 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 and probably a little bit dangerous for everybody. Probably a little dangerous for everybody, and not to mention incredibly hot for the horses. Yeah, they always do this at the hottest time of year, and you have to wear those darn costumes that are hot to begin with. That's (laughs) right. Walking around in long-sleeved wool clothes in, you know, 110 degrees is not the funnest thing you've ever done. I always wondered why they did it uh, in August and didn't wait till September, October, but then the kids are back in school, so... um, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. It was, it's a, you know, I've, I've actually never been there. I've heard of it, obviously, and any, anybody that's been into that world at all has heard of it. Um, and it just, I would love to see it at some point. It, it's quite an impressive sight. It really is. Uh, when, when the battles take place on the battlefield, you really it, you get a pretty good idea of what it must have felt like and sounded like when two armies clashed on the field. It can be quite noisy and, and pretty impressive. Cat, if you don't mind, I have to ask mm-hmm. a question because this goes Go back. Now, see, when I owned the acting company, I owned the acting company, so I, I just played the king because I could. Um, <laughs> so now in the SCA, do you pick your roles or do you have to, like, does the king just say, okay, I want to be a king? Um, or did, is there like a hierarchy or how's that work? There is definitely a hierarchy. Uh, to be king or queen, uh, every six months they have what's called a crown tournament. And you enter the crown tournament, uh, you fight, and whoever is the, the winner at the end of the day is the king for the next six months. You mean I'd actually have to work for it? Yeah, I actually have to work oh, for it. Oh, man, see, the other way I could just pay everybody else and they were happy, and then I could be the king. Well, you could well, pay a good call, idea. You could. I could pay. I could pay the people off I'm battling with. That'd probably work too. I'm sure that was <laughs> that done too. Work. Yeah, that was done back then too. So, <laughs> might have been. But yeah, there's there's definitely a hierarchy, and and uh, my title as as a the mistress as old of Hawksholm, uh, that's a level of peerage that is awarded to you by the crown, and basically. There's the king and the queen, and then there's the royal peers who have been king or queen before. And below that is the the peers, such as the knights. Uh, they have laurels, and they have pelicans. And those three are uh, the, the peerages of the, the society. Jude, and we had a that, name. There's a lot of other reigns. <laughs> Jude, we had a name for them. They were called the royal has-beens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jude. Fair enough. <laughs> I think we'll end on that. Ding. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jude, for joining us. We really appreciate it. This has been fun. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Well, that was a lot of fun. The SCA is an interesting group, and uh, they have they have people all over the country. They used to come to the Renaissance Fairs uh, all the time, obviously. They would be and back 20 years ago when the Renaissance Fairs first started. That was at the beginning, really, of the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. There used to be very few people that would come in costume, guests that would come in costume, but the ones that did were with the SCA. 
See, so, and then uh, over the years now, you go to a Renaissance fair anywhere across the country, and you're going to see half the people there in costume. Yeah. It's, It's a whole different thing. They used to be involved in the SCA in a small way, too. Was that in Florida? Yes, um, we actually had, uh, I got into it because my uh, high school was doing a renaissance fair and we had no clue what we were doing. So we actually contacted um, a group in the SCA and they came and did some of their jousting and some of their uh, their tent set up on our, on our school grounds for the show. So that was awesome. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because it's, it's called the Society for Creative Anachronism. You know, then you'd walk through these camps of the SCA and see duct tape everywhere. <laughs> it's just kind of duct fun. tape is universal, though. You need it. <laughs> I know. It not only horse people, different. but uh, uh, reenactors as well use duct tape. If they could hide it, it'd be great. But no, <laughs> you really just need duct tape. All right. We'll be back right after this. Uh, these words from Equestrian Collections. For over a year now, we've been telling you about all the cool things happening at Equestrian Collections and the variety and selection of products they have at fantastic prices. But today, we want to talk to you a little bit about their social networking and what a community they have built on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Equestrian Collections, you're going to find that over 20,000 fans are now following Equestrian Collections on Facebook. And, And the reason is they have a dynamic community built over there. You know, on uh, most store sites, most company sites on Facebook will just promote product and things like that. That's not what happens on Equestrian Collections. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's the community sharing pictures, talking about stories, asking questions of each other. It's an active, vibrant community, like a little forum right there on Facebook. Search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook or stop over to EquestrianCollections.com for all of your horse and rider needs. Well, again, we thank all our sponsors, and we want to remind everybody that you can find our show notes with the links from today's shows at StableScoop.com, the links out to the different groups we talked to today. It's kind of neat. Go check out their websites. And we would love your feedback. You can contact us through the contact link on our website at StableScoop.com. We are also on Twitter at Horse Radio. Are you guys on Twitter yet, Kat? Uh, No, I'm not, actually. I should be on there one day. All right, well, you can become a fan of ours on Facebook at uh, Stable Scoop. You can just search for Stable Scoop on Facebook. We'd love if you became a fan over there and started following us there. You can actually listen to the shows there as well. And, uh, Kat, do you guys have a website? We do. It is launchpadaudio.com. Launchpadaudio.com, and they do a great job. Uh, Kat and her husband are the ones that edit all of our shows, and we certainly appreciate that. And thank you for all of your hard work. I know some weeks it's not easy with the technical difficulties we come up with. It's just always exciting. <laughs> it's a challenge. We'll think of it that way. And so we want to thank our sponsors again. And also be sure to visit all of the other great shows on the network at horseradionetwork.com. And hopefully next week, if all goes well, Helena will be back. And we'll be back to normal at post. World Equestrian Games here in Lexington, Kentucky. All right, well, Kat, thank you very much for joining us this week. We appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with The Scoop. 